this week, I want to read a short sermon, a homily I wrote a number of years ago on the subject of death, right? So this is going to feel slightly different. Um, this homily, this short sermon has a backstory. So let me just give you the backstory. A friend of mine was making a film um, and a scene in the film was about a preacher preaching a sermon and then someone steps into this moment. Let me, let me read you the pitch that I was given because I was invited to write this short homily for the film. So hi Pete, I'm making a feature film next year and wondered if you'd be up for writing a two minute approx sermon on death. Now I know what some of you will be thinking, that's an incredible faith that she would think that Pete could write a sermon in two minutes. Not possible. Struggles in 40 minutes. How could he possibly do it in two? Well, she had faith. More faith than you do, right? Um, anyway, it goes on. This would be for a scene where a character walks into a church service and catches two mins approx of it. The church scene itself will be very short. A female character, after a massive, regrettable, drug fueled rave in a forest, will stumble in the back of the church out of curiosity and catch the end of a sermon, which she is surprisingly soothed and inspired by. I want people to also be soothed by the snippet. No pressure. It's an old, echoey church with the ornate, velvety type offering bags with the wooden handles it gets passed to her and she pukes in it right so that's setting the scene um, for this reflection this lady walks in she's high she's drunk she voms in the collection baskets but she's getting ready to encounter grace now, Charlie Maxey, the artist, and many of you will know him for, for his work. He was doing a mood board for this film. And for this scene, um, this was the picture. Hopefully it will appear on the screen. Um, this is the, the lady walking into the church for this encounter. And my friend wrote this about this piece of work. Charlie's interpretation looks to me a lot like someone leaning on the balcony at the top of the KXC Ethiopian church space, which is the other venue we meet in for the 5pm service, which is apt because the drawing was meant to serve as a representation of your audience, who you write for, those who come to KXC spiritually almost crawling on their hands and knees for one last shot on 1% battery to connect with God, their lifestyle and hearts and build a genuine community. And that's a brief moment I want to capture on the film, that sort of crisis point. Hence why I wanted you to write a small section on death. Because after all, I believe when you talk about death, you talk about hope, a darkness that makes the light identifiable. So before I read the, the homily, I wanna read you a couple of Bible verses that will help frame this short reflection on death. So the first verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter five. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We, my friends, are children of the day. And therefore, as we bask in the light of the glory of God, we should be radiating that light, radiating faith, hope and love. Second verse, Luke chapter one. In the tender compassion of our God, 
the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. You'll have heard me say over the last few weeks that we are experiencing a season shift here at KXC. I would say many churches across this nation actually globally are experiencing somewhat of a season shift, that winter is turning to spring and we're experiencing some of the spring rains, the Spirit falling upon us in a fresh way. To switch the the metaphor, the darkness of night is, is beginning to make way for a new dawn. The morning light is breaking upon us and we should be really excited by that. Now, one of the things we need to be attentive for, and again, we're beginning to see this, is many people like this lady in the sketch are gonna be walking into churches like ours, giving up on the story that the world is offering them and searching for a better story, a story where there is hope and where there is light. I believe we're gonna see a wave of prodigals returning to church, returning to the person of Jesus. A wave of salvation is coming. And if they're gonna encounter grace when they arrive, and we want them to, they're gonna encounter grace in the worship, hearing the people of God pour out the praises of God. They're gonna hear grace in the proclamation of the gospel, but they're gonna experience grace in the community. Right, And if they're gonna experience grace, we need to be radiating grace. And we radiate grace when we spend time soaking in the light. When we're mesmerised by the beauty of the gospel, when we're drinking in the beauty of the gospel, when we are taste and see that the Lord is good type of people, then we'll begin to radiate that goodness and that grace. So my prayer is that as we walk through this reflection, we'd be wowed by the beauty of the gospel, that we as a church would start to radiate grace, perhaps in a way we've never done before. And as people walk in, they would have encounters like this person in the film has an encounter. So we're going to put on a track of music, um, an emotionally charged piece of music. Um, And I'm not trying to create a moment, manipulate a moment. I just know, personally speaking, that music helps me occupy a space with a different mindset and a different posture. It slows the heart down. Right, this, this isn't going to be a preach full of like doctrine and teaching. It's going to be a short-ish homily. And a homily is, is more of an invitation to grace, a moment of spiritual edification. So if we press play on the music and, um, and I'll begin to read this homily. So Spirit, come and speak to us. Come and minister to us. Amen. As a kid, I was scared of the dark. I think most kids are. Daytime represents company. Because dependency levels are high, kids spend nearly all of the daylight hours with parents, carers and friends. Going to bed is often frightening because it means after hours of being with others, there will be hours of being alone. But daytime represents more than just company, it also represents clarity. You can see your surroundings and the familiar sights create a known environment. 
which in turn creates safety. Going to bed, therefore, means facing the unknown. We become afraid of the unseen. We are scared of monsters because we can't see what's under the bed. We become scared of the dark shape in the corner because we can't see what it is. What we crave is people and light, company and clarity. We are terrified of being alone and we are terrified of the unknown. The solution is a fairly simple one, company and light. We lie down with our kids until they fall asleep so that they don't have to be consciously alone at night. When they wake up in the middle of the night, we respond by lying with them until they resettle. Add to that a nightlight so they can see under the bed and hopefully they'll grow out of it. But do we ever fully grow out of it? What if we just project the same fears onto a new enemy? We replace the fear of the night with the fear of death. Of course, we don't talk about it as that would be embarrassing. It would be like admitting as an adult to being afraid of the dark. But the root fears that were present as a child still remain hidden deep down. The fear of being alone and the fear of the unknown. The question is, how do we overcome the fear of death? We overcame the fear of the dark, so surely it's possible. We know that death is inevitable as we knew that bedtime was inevitable when we were kids. So what enabled us to grow out of the fear of the dark? The answer has to be the daily experience of waking up to daylight. Nighttime was inevitable, but so was morning. In other words, we grew up to realise that however bad nighttime felt, it would pass. It was temporary, not permanent. Company and clarity were on the other side of going to bed. The problem is, most of our current Western worldviews treat death as a full stop rather than a comma. No daylight follows. There is no company and clarity on the other side of sleep, the euphemism we often use to talk about death. The fear of being alone and of the unknown dominates. Accordingly, life is temporary and death is permanent. Our obsession has therefore become about making this short life a good one. We idolise youth because growing old means that nighttime is approaching. We don't talk about death because living is all that matters. But are these worldviews actually life-giving? People seem more anxious these days. In fact, people seem as much afraid of daytime as they are of nighttime. As kids, company and clarity were the gifts of the daytime. Being alone and the unknown were the curses of the nighttime. But many adults spend the daytime experiencing the curses associated with the nighttime. They feel isolated and confused. They feel alone and unknown. When daytime feels like nighttime, perhaps it's time to question our worldview, the lens through which we make sense of our surroundings. Perhaps it's time to take off whatever cultural glasses we are wearing. Perhaps there are better glasses to help us enjoy the day. So let's for a moment exchange our modern lenses for a much older pair of spectacles. The Bible begins with the story of creation and humanity's birth. A modern reader might expect the story to end with the death of creation and humanity. Daytime followed by night birth followed by death but the final chapters of the scriptures end not with the death of humanity 
but with the death of death and the rebirth of humanity. Death is destroyed once and for all and resurrection life breaks out. God comes down and makes his dwelling place with humanity just like he did in the beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden. He declares there will be no more death or grief or crying or pain. Then God is pictured sitting on his throne, indicative of his work being complete, and he proclaims, behold, I'm making all things new. In other words, God is in the business of redemption and restoration. Rather than destroying the earth or humanity, he wants to resurrect and redeem it. Things will be how they were in the beginning, in Eden, where there was no sin, no sickness and no suffering. All things restored, all things made new. The end of the story might be a surprise to the modern reader, but to anyone familiar with the Christian story, the resurrection of Jesus right in the middle of the story gives us a clue to the trajectory of the wider narrative. This is ultimately a story of resurrection, of life before death and life after death. In the person of Jesus, the end of the story is broken into the middle of the story. So much so that the gospel writers describe the arrival of Jesus by stating, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The light associated with the future age and the new creation entered into the darkness of the present age where people were living in the shadow and fear of death. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus transformed everything. Just as day followed night, a new worldview burst onto the scene in which life followed death. Nighttime is temporary, daylight eternal. Death is a comma, life can be everlasting. It seems to me that the surrounding culture is spiraling into chaos. Anxiety levels are constantly rising. The Enlightenment worldview that promised so much, well, light, has left people not just afraid of the night, but equally afraid of the day. People are terrified of being alone and of the unknown. Ultimately, people are afraid of death and it's robbing them of life. But what if we tried on a new pair of glasses? A pair of glasses that offers hope that light is ahead of us as well as behind for our lives are shaped by the end we live for. If the end is darkness, that darkness will bleed into the present. If the end is glorious, everlasting light, that light will penetrate our present darkness and overcome it. I'll close with this. I'm now in my 40s and can honestly say that I don't fear the dark anymore. That might not surprise you, but this might. I'm not sure I even fear death. Why? Because I live by faith now and not by sight. Faith is a different way of seeing the world. The Bible says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I don't know exactly what the future holds. I know it will at some point involve death. Of that, I'm certain. But of this, I'm equally certain. That beyond death, resurrection life awaits. A life in which there is no death, grief, crying or pain, a life of perfect union with God, his people and all of created order. I believe that because I believe and trust in Jesus. He is how I now see the world and everything else. 
or to borrow the words of C.S. Lewis describing this new pair of glasses. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. If you fell asleep, you can wake up now and let me read these two verses again. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Winter is turning to spring. Nighttime is giving way. The dawn is breaking upon us. And I believe that the Lord wants to minister to his sons and daughters that they might fully become children of the day and the curses of the nighttime be driven from us. And what I think that means is the church, the sons and daughters of God experiencing afresh the perfect love that casts out fear. I think what a number of, a number of us have done over recent months, maybe years, is we've been wrestling with higher levels of anxiety and fear, and that's become normative. It's normal to be managing our anxiety and managing our fear rather than contending for freedom. And what that looks like is we wrestle in isolation. It becomes a private battle, a personal battle, and we keep it as an internal thing. In other words, it's in the shadows, it's in the dark. And when those fears are in the shadows, in the dark, and it's a private battle, the enemy will have an absolute field day. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The spring rains are beginning to fall upon us. And it's a moment for us as the sons and daughters of God, the children of the day, to bring fear and anxiety from the dark places, from the shadows where we wrestle in isolation and we bring it out into the light and we bring it into the company of believers and say, do you know what? I'm really wrestling with fear, fear of darkness fear of death, fear of the unknown, and fear of being alone. I could fake it, present my A game, and pretend everything's okay. Or I could operate with deep humility and courage and say to the family of God around me, like fear has taken hold and I don't want that. I want the love of the Father to be poured out by the Spirit. That's Romans 5, 5. The love of the Father poured out by the Spirit in such a way that this perfect love begins to cast out fear because we're called to be children of the day.